I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Tim Blackett is the author of a debut c- collection of literary fiction, Grandview Drive. These are exciting short stories connected by a fictional drive that all sorts of compelling, fascinating, and isolated people intersect. Uh, in the stories, there are heartbroken people, those that are lonely, disturbed, insecure, and suffering in all sorts of ways. I'll ask Mr. Blackett, who uh, joined me from his home in Regina a week and a half ago, to tell us about the things his characters are contending with, going through, and are desperate for. It takes a particularly insightful, if not empathetic, writer to conjure up stories about some not-so-sympathetic characters, but who are interesting to read about. I'll ask uh, him about how he views his characters, his work, and writing. I'll uh, also ask him about the genre of uh, short stories and the work he's done to better understand writing through his uh, new podcast, Tim Blackett and Friends. Tim Blackett is a writer whose work has appeared in Briar Patch, Spaces, Grain Magazine, and a Saskatchewan journal called Swift Flowing. He has uh, degrees from the University of Regina and a certificate in creative writing from Humber uh, College. This uh, new book is published by Nightwood Editions. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Tim Blackett. Mr. Blackett, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks for joining us. So there is a Grandview Drive in Vancouver, but I suspect you weren't thinking about that one as you were writing this book, right? Right. No, yeah, I wasn't aware of that. Um, Since having the book coming out and being published, I thought a number of people mentioned that. In my head when I wrote it, it was just kind of a thing in my head. But, yeah, there's people in Vancouver mentioning that, and then I guess there's there's a road in... Illinois somewhere that is called Grandview Drive that people sort of make a pilgrimage to because of the beautiful views. But yeah, in my head it was just, I made it up. <laughs> so so the, the, this Grandview Drive that you have in your head, um, yeah. it, it, it's quite evocative as, as, as we read through through the book what it, what it is. And, and, and so what were you thinking about in terms of a street where people live and and the sort of people one would find on your drive, say. Yeah. Well, it's very loosely based on uh, an area in Regina's Cathedral neighborhood. There's uh, three or four streets that people call, they just call it the Crescents. And it's like old character homes mm-hmm. on these Crescents. Some of them are big and huge. Some of them are tiny. But that's kind of what I had in mind, and I, for the book, I sort of turned it into a richer neighborhood. But just a yeah, just a neighborhood that you feel comfortable walking around in. It's just people. I don't know. Yeah, and but and, loose, loosely based on the cathedral neighborhood. Yeah, and and so the, 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 this drive of yours is populated by by these characters that we read throughout the book, and and um, as as disparate as they are. Um, they are connected, right? Yeah. In sometimes um, obscure ways, like they're all connected. One, most of them live on Grandview Drive, but then their stories sort of interconnect in different ways. Some of them are explicit and they're aware of these connections. Others are just in passing where something someone does affects the lives of other people on the street or whatever. But yeah, they're all connected in yeah, the, the, yeah. For for example, the first character, um, I don't know if I'm giving anything away, but but um, we think at the end of, of that first story 
we won't uh, we won't hear or see of him again, but we do later uh, in the book, right, or about him at least, right? Right. Yeah. yeah, because his his life intersects with another character from from the story, so yeah, yeah we get to see him again. You have this ability, uh, Tim, of um, getting us, the reader, to empathize with so- some of these characters that aren't necessarily sympathetic. Um, does that? Do you think that comes from your own ability to empathize? Say, I think that might be a part of it. Yeah, I guess I haven't really thought of the reasons why I'm able to do that. Thank you for saying that. Um, but yeah, I the story, the collection is basically about a bunch of lonely people trying hard to not feel lonely anymore, and a lot of that comes out of my own feeling of loneliness even within when I was walking in circles in which from the outside it looks like I had a a bunch of people around me who cared about me, and I did. But I felt lonely even in those situations. So this book over the years is kind of a reflection of that. And I think maybe the reader empathizes with, with the characters because I was empathizing with the characters. Like many people, as the book is coming out, ask me how autobiographical it is and it's not autobiographical because all all these characters are doing crazy things but (laughs) it is autobiographical in that i feel or have felt the loneliness that these characters have also felt so i just tried to be as real as possible yeah i I started reading the book um a few weeks ago um and I, I had uh, caught a, a cold, and I was, I, was, I was sick, so I, you know, I kept to myself. I'm an only child, so I'm, I'm used to being alone. Um, mm. And um, I understood you whenever you, you would uh, invoke say loneliness or think about loneliness in some of these characters. I, I felt that mm. acutely, not necessarily that it was reflecting me, but I, I understood that, if you will. Right. And, and there's some parts of the book that were tough to read um, in that um, I didn't want to think about that because I do have people in my life, my life, and, and I do encounter, you know, I, 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 um, you know it, it's a rich life in terms of people around me and, and things to do, and I'm not, you know, sitting around staring at the ceiling all the time, right? Yeah. Um, but um, I guess I, 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 I felt that you understood what, that loneliness or that that um, isolation is for a lot of people, and and I guess we, we as as human beings need connection. I mean, not all the mm-hmm. time, but we do need it from time to time. And sometimes people need it so desperately that they they turn further inward, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, I I have struggled with mental health issues for a long time since I was an older teenager. Mm-hmm. depression and anxiety and different things and and I think that when someone struggles with that long enough you really do feel isolated even if, even if you're able to be vulnerable and tell people this is what I'm feeling or this is I've been diagnosed with this depression or whatever it still feels like from my from my perspective at least mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to describe how depression feels to someone or or what they can do, or any of that. So, so, yeah, I know there are people around me who, who care about me, like you were saying, but very often, 
with all of that hanging over my head or like swirling around in my head, it's just so easy to withdraw and be like, no one understands, even though, even though they're all trying to, you know. Yeah, and then and then it, it, at some points you you really do like we're coming up to the holidays, and um, you know that's that time where, where a lot of people get together, and there's certain yeah. social obligations that one needs to fulfill. And I'm already feeling it at December 8th when we're talking here. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to those moments where I won't have to do a lot of things with a lot of people and that I'll be able to, you know, sleep in or grab naps yeah. and things like that. I, I'm looking yeah. forward to that sort of stuff already. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, too. This is all of November with the book coming out. I've been, I've had all these different events going here and going there, meeting yeah. people and it's all been really exciting and like a dream come true, but at the same time now that it's the book is out and I've got fewer of these events, I'm ready. Same thing, I'm ready to sort of just crawl into bed and sleep for a little bit. <laughs> you um, you mentioned a moment ago that, that you've been asked how autobiographical uh, the mm. book is. Obviously, it's a work of fiction, but you inhabit these people, uh, especially the, the people that are so unlike yourself. Yeah. Um, so well, uh, as a writer, is that fun to do? Yeah. yeah, it really is. I guess that's, I guess that's the shtick is that in writing fiction, I am able to, yeah, sort of walk in someone else's shoes for a while, even if those shoes happen to be out of their mind. Yeah. You know? It's almost like I've been a reader my whole life, and very often people talk about a, a shelf of books being a shelf full of different worlds and everything, and you get to escape to a new and different world or planet. And I guess writing is similar, but you get more of an active voice in it. You get to you get to make the world, and that's exciting for me. Even though I'm not writing fantasy or or science fiction or anything, yeah. the world I'm entering is different than my own, and that's exciting for me. And so what are the challenges in that, especially when there are people that are, are so unlike you? Um, mm -hmm. it, it, are those the, the moments in writing where they take longer to write, say? Yeah, I guess, like, there's always the struggle or, you know, trying to be, like with acting, they call it method acting or whatever, mm -hmm. becoming your characters. And I, and I guess there's even one story in the collection called Mumble Mumble in which the character is a writer and he sort of, in his own head, believes he's becoming his characters. That that might be autobiographical in that sometimes I feel like I am inhabiting these characters more than writing the characters. But yeah, I don't know if that's hard... Like for me, that's the fun of it. Yeah, being being someone different for a minute is part of the fun. And but what's hard is when I'm trying to write from a perspective. Like there are several stories where I'm writing as a, the protagonist is a woman, mm -hmm. first person narrative as a woman sort of, and I have to. I'm thankful for a number of women that I've had that were able to read it to be and and have called me on some things, being like, I don't know if that's how. I would, I would react, or I would be, or I would, you know. So that 
I'm not pretending like I know what it's like to be a, a woman yeah. or whatever character it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the voice in which you tell these stories, I mean, it, it, it changes from the first or the third person. Uh, how do you decide how best to tell a story? I wish I had a intelligent answer for that, but for me it's kind of just, However, it comes out. There's only been a number of times where I was started in first person or third person, say, and then halfway through decided I think this needs to switch, switch perspective. Yeah. Kind of just the stories just come out the way they come out. And I wrote this collection over a span of about ten years, mm-hmm. and so I don't know if that has anything to do with just the time in my life when I'm writing. I think the earlier stories happened to be first person, whereas moving towards the later stories, I moved into third person. But they're mixed in the collection, so no one besides me would know that. Yeah. Um, the, at the heart of the book is a critical look at how um, we treat one another. I mean, a lot of people yeah. don't know how to reach out. We were talking a moment ago about connection, um, seeking connection especially. So so we, sh- we really should think about those things, especially at this time of year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 um, I guess it, it got me, th- it, one of the, the reasons why I found s- some of the book hard to read was, you know, we, we do need to think about how um, we are with one another and, and, and learn how to be kind, I guess. I, mean, I don't know if that you you were thinking about that as you were writing, but I certainly thought about it as I'm reading the book. Yeah. Well, I never want my my fiction to come up as preachy, to be like, here's the moral of the story type thing. I mm-hmm. want the reader to be able to take what they want from it. But I do think that's a central part of the book, the fact that the, everyone in the book is looking for looking for these connections, I hope that people will recognize that in themselves and then in those around them, so that they might think, as you're saying, maybe I should reach out to my friends. The whole part of the whole point or the thing that I was thinking about for years and still do is that even though I do feel alone or a character might feel alone, everything we do is sort of interconnected and contingent upon other people. So my life has changed based on the kind words of another or vice versa, Mm. uh, or the not kind words. But, you know, just the fact that we feel alone doesn't mean we aren't connected. I I really do. There are more, feel there are more connections than we think there are. So, I don't know. And that's the, 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 uh, how we move in life is try to find those or realize those. Uh, as well, you know, I was going to ask you later on about um, what it's like to write, because you know it is a, a rather solitary experience for the writer. But yeah. it, but as I read in the acknowledgments, um, there are a lot of people who are part of this journey for you as a writer. Yeah. Um, and w- w- what is it like when um, you bounce ideas off other people and and you get that encouragement? Um, yeah, well, it, it makes the writing worthwhile, I suppose, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it just adds layers to the 
to the writing. I know there are writers who really do treat it as a solitary thing, and they won't show a thing to anybody until they think it's 100%, you mm -hmm. know, polished and all of that. And, you know, that works for some writers. But for me, uh, I don't often show a thing to someone if it's not the first draft isn't finished. But once the draft is finished, I like to let people, people who I trust, other writers or artists or like my partner will read some stuff, um, and get those ideas because the first draft is never as polished as it's going to be or I want it to be. So have an outside perspective of how the story goes. I don't take everyone's suggestions, but I, I think having intelligent, thoughtful people reading it and giving suggestions really like bolsters the work. And that's, that's been a great joy of mine is be, being able to share it with other people that I respect. And, and when, when you doubt that the, the work of writing is worthwhile or you're discouraged yeah. even, what, what does somebody tell you that might keep you going? Um, well, even the, just the fact that people are willing to, friends that I have are willing to read my next thing after having read the thing before. I mean, it means I haven't scared them off with my terrible writing. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, but they're, like the people I have worked with and the ones I've acknowledged in the book have always had kind things to say, like very nice things to say, even if they were critiquing the story or saying, this, I don't think this one works as well as the last one because of this and this and that. Like everyone I've worked with or, or I've, I've accumulated a few good friends that are able to speak truthfully about it without being Mm. That's that a, helps. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, um, and, and then I, I, um, the the first character in the book uh, spent some time in a coffee shop, and in in the acknowledgments, you, you also write that um, a lot of this book was written in coffee shops and the sort with, with a lot of people around. Um, yeah. As someone who doesn't write, I would think that it would be distracting, but I guess it works for you, doesn't it? Yeah. Again, it's every writer is different. Some are very solitary creatures and need a quiet space. But for me, any room I'm in that's completely silent, that is far more distracting than, like, the white noise of strangers mulling about is what keeps me focused on a, on the page, I guess. I don't know why, but it's, yeah. it, that's what helps me. And so, yeah, I, I think I said in the acknowledgement, Probably 90% of the book was written at Starbucks in chapters in Regina. Yeah, yeah. I have my spot there. I sit in my right. Yeah. Do you drink the same thing all the time? Uh, almost always, but I switch it up here and there. Yeah. But it's like I'll drink the same thing for a year maybe, and then I'll think, maybe I should try something else, and then I might get stuck on that one. But yeah, I'm <laughs> Yeah, a weird creature of habit there too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm someone who who um, doesn't drink coffee regularly. Um, okay. I drink it. Um, and I certainly don't make it at home, but if I'm yeah. out and it's served, I'll, I'll I may have some. It doesn't matter what time of day, you know, after dinner or in the morning or you know midday even. Yeah. Um, and I enjoy it to a certain extent after many years of not enjoying it. Like I worked graveyard shifts for, for a number of years 
for for not not another number of years, but for a while, twenty years ago, and and I made it through that experience without coffee, um, and um, I'm always curious to know why you know how. Because people can get addicted to it. I mean, I hear people drinking, you know, six cups a day, and, and I can't. Yeah. I couldn't stomach that, literally. Um, yeah, but, no, I have my one cup in the morning. Yeah. Um, but that's usually it. But And similarly, I didn't really like coffee. It's still not my favorite drink, but I do like sitting in a coffee shop to write, and if I'm going to sit in a coffee shop, I need to buy it. <laughs> yeah. So buy a coffee. Yeah, you know, it, it's a thing that they make, right? You know, it's like if you yeah. went to a pastry shop, you'd have a pastry probably, right? Yeah. yeah. But over the years, I guess I've developed a taste for it. But I always drink cold coffees. I can't drink hot coffee, so I get ice brews all the time. Huh? Yeah, I should try that because I, I've had it a couple times this past summer. It's you know when it's hot, and yeah. and you find you need coffee, but um, I should do that more regularly. Um, yeah. I, I read um, somewhere that you studied theology. Is that right? I did. Yeah. What? Um, see, I, when I first saw that, I thought, you know, this makes sense that that he's acutely aware of other people and his surroundings, and and he probably got that from from uh, theological studies. Do you think there's a connection there? Um, there could be. There could be. I haven't thought of that connection before. I grew up very involved in the church. My family is still involved. Uh-huh. In fact, I went to a private church school, kindergarten through grade 12, and then so that was just kind of a natural moving on after high school. I did a theology degree, and then in the years following, I've kind of let that fall by the wayside, and then I got an English degree. But, yeah, I think... I don't know. I just think, yeah, being in a, a bubble like that and knowing everybody so intimately, it's almost like a small town. I've never lived in a small town, but the way people talk about knowing everyone in a small town is the way I felt knowing everybody within my little Christian bubble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think I was able to learn, even if someone was saying one thing, but maybe meaning or thinking another, I was able to pick on the, pick up on those little cues just because we knew each other so well or intimately. Every yeah. day I was seeing the same people. So maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah, I, I um, when, I, when, I, when I first saw the word theology, I thought, um, uh, I, I wondered first, I thought, well, w- w- did he have a plan to go beyond that and, and you know, pursue... Yeah, Some sort when of... I first started, when I first started the yeah. theology degree, I thought I was going to be a youth pastor. I see. And then by the time I finished the degree, I was thinking, I almost went into the military to be a, a you know, what they have a like a chaplain. A word, yeah, a chaplain. The military would pay for my master's of divinity or whatever else. Yeah. But the wrestling in my head was, I started, by, by the end of my last year there, I kind of started thinking, do I actually 
believe this enough to tell strangers about it or to like <laughs> preach with conviction. I, I was having, I felt like I read the book backwards and I had more questions by the end of my degree than I had answers. So I didn't feel, I just decided to take a break kind of and then I kind of floated away from all of that and moved towards literature, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and then as you write fiction, you, you certainly come up with more questions as well, don't you? Yeah. yeah. For sure. Fiction is a way, for me at least, of if not trying to answer those questions, then at least answering, asking them in an interesting way. I feel like literature, I've always thought literature or books in general reading, um, a good book is always asking the question, what makes a good human being to me? Yeah. yeah. And at one point, the answer to that was always God for me. Uh-huh. But I've moved. I feel like I've moved away from that being the answer. Now there's something more ambiguous there that I'm always looking for and interested in. And that being un- uncertain there is what makes me feel invigorated trying, yeah. trying, trying to find what makes my life meaningful yeah yeah I'm, no, I'm nominally a Catholic but certainly not a, a practicing one I, I mean yeah. I, I grew up as a Catholic and, and uh, I, I still feel I guess if I had to f- tick a box on a form I'd, I'd tick that one um, right but um, like I don't um before I get struck down by by the wrath of God, I uh, I, I I don't believe that that, that um, necessarily that that it's important that we we live our life to venerate a God or the God. Yeah. I think why, why, why don't you just start with with the people in front of you or around you? Um, mm-hmm. Do that first, and then and then if you've got time in the rest of your day, then then maybe yeah, um, say a silent uh, nod to God, you know, before bed or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, no, I don't. I don't begrudge people their beliefs. I feel like sure, if you get a yeah. certain peace or joy out of it, then that's great. But the way I experienced it, it, it informed every aspect of my life, every decision I ever made, every thought I had was informed by this thing. And I just eventually thought, I gotta see what it's like outside of that. And I feel the peace of the Lord far more now that I'm out of it than I ever did when I was in it. So. Yeah, so it works. Yeah. You know, we, we got to do yeah. the things that make that, that work for us, right? Um, yeah. The the genre of short stories that's very different than the the actual form of a novel. And I would think right. that it is tougher to write something short than something long, um, and it and, and takes great discipline as well. Do you feel that as a short story writer? I do. I actually think short fiction. I'm obviously biased, but I think short fiction is the truest form of art. I often say that, but maybe I mean literature. <clears throat> but it's kind of a joke, but mostly I, I think you have to just be so skilled as a writer to do it, to do it well. And I'm not pretending I'm any sort of genius or anything because I have a collection of short fiction, but it seems the general consensus is that writers write short story collections as sort of a practice for novels. But 
in my mind, novels and short stories are doing such different things that you can't even, you can barely take anything from a short, from writing short stories, what you learn that way, and apply it to novels other than maybe like character. I don't know. To me, they're just so wildly different. Yeah. Sorry, but I'm rambling about this. No, no. Do, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense because, um, uh, you know, you, if you, you try to write a letter to somebody, um, yeah. it's easier to write a longer letter than, say, a shorter letter. Cause, but because I, I see this when I read Grandview Drive, um, how precise you are with language. You're, you're not wasting time, say, mm. with, with a bunch of stuff that, you know, uh, what, you know what we, we don't really need to know because yeah. um, you, you seemingly have... Uh, got us to understand the situation or the character in just a few words already that um, we don't need that other stuff, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just think short, like in a, in a novel, like I could talk a long time with the differences between the two, but in a novel, I feel like you're entering into the world of the novel. People talk about like missing this world or that world. or You know, you're invited into a novel. And novelists are allowed to spend some time describing the fauna or the stuff on the wall. But in short stories, none of that matters unless it matters, and then you need to describe it, you know? But we're not, I feel like I'm not building a world that you need to see a whole world around in a short story, but you need to see the character and try to understand the character's motivations in some way. Mm. I mean, that's there in the novel too, but like, it's just, it's just different. I feel like, whereas you're invited into a novel, short stories, good short stories sort of muscle their way into your brain and they stick there. You're forced to move past the final period and sort of create your own understanding of the, You started a podcast recently. I understand. Yeah, I did. And and so the the um, the uh, the impetus for that, I guess, you wanted to talk to other writers. Is that right? Yeah, basically. Um, I had thought about having podcasts for many years. I just didn't really know how or or who would listen to me or what I would what it would look like. But I've had a certain amount of success on TikTok over the past year, and I've had a number of people there saying, you should start a podcast because I could listen to you talk about books for forever type thing. So I had enough people requesting it that I thought maybe I should do that. And I've made some connections via TikTok and other places now that the book's coming out. So that my first episode I interviewed Emily Austin, uh-huh. who's an author from Ottawa, who wrote a book called Everyone in the Room Will Some May Be Dead. Yeah. And we connected on TikTok, followed each other, and commented on the videos here and there. And then when it came time for me to rustle up some blurbs, I had asked her, and she was kind enough to do that. And then same thing. When I, when I started this podcast, I thought, maybe I'll ask her. So she was on the first episode. Mm-hmm. And then I asked several other writers, 
that I knew in person or via social media. And everyone said yes. So then I started having this confidence that, like, yeah, everyone wants to be on my podcast. So then I started emailing people I don't have any business emailing, and I sent one to Sheila Hetty, mm-hmm. who was, like, my, my literary idol. And she agreed to come on. So she was on number two, which was in October, which was, like, I don't know, just a wild sort of dream I didn't know I had come true. Talking to Sheila. Yeah, and then Jessica Johns, who's from Alberta. She wrote Bad Creek. She's coming on. And I sent an email to um, sorry, I'm forgetting his name. His last name is Graham Burnett. Uh-huh. He wrote. He was shortlisted for the Booker twice. Oh, yeah. And I, I heard him talking on the Booker podcast about how he, in spite of his wild success, has chosen to stay with his small publisher because he likes the way they have worked with him and treated him and the opportunities he's had with them. He doesn't think he might have had the same with a bigger publisher and being just one of them, of many. So yeah. then I thought, because of, I've had such a great experience with Nightwood, who published my book, Nightwood Edition. Yeah. I, I have been thinking about... For my next books, what do I want to do? I mean, as if I have any options, really. <laughs> but I've been thinking about how much it would be nice to just stick with the same publisher and develop that relationship and all of that. So then, based on listening to him there, I was I sent him an email. He right away replied, yeah, sure, let's can we talk about doing it in the new year. So That's great. I've got quite a few lined up, but yeah. I don't really know what I'm doing. I, I just... As a writer, I'm always interested in what other writers have to say, so I ask them about their books. We talk about writing, we talk yeah. about what we're reading, and it's for me it's fun. Yeah. And hopefully people get something out of it. Yeah, and be, I'm sure there'll be, there'll be people who find it useful. I'm, I'm sure you're finding it useful to no end. Um, yeah, for me it's, it's yeah. been really fun. Yeah. This has been really fun talking to you today, Tim. Congratulations on this book and continued good luck with it. I appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was real, real fun. I'm glad to be on. The book is called Grandview Drive. It's uh, published by Nightwood Editions. Its author, Tim Blackett, joined me on the line from Regina, Saskatchewan, and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.